We are in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. And I just speak on whatever is in the chapter. I have nothing to do with current events. The chapter, I'm going to speak on it. Joshua chapter 7. And so let me give the context again. The children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience in a town called Kadesh Barnea. They were supposed to go in and take that take the, the area uh, uh, which is uh, Israel, current day Israel, Palestine. They were supposed to take that and conquer that land. Uh, they were only supposed to be in the wilderness for 40 days. They ended up spending 40 years because of their disobedience. And then when they came back in, I'm just going to move over here and, and just tell you the strategy here. So they came back in the land. They came from the south. They came up, conquered this side. This is the Jordan River that goes from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth. It's 1,300 feet below sea level at the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth. And, uh, and so now they just came across the Jericho. We studied that. They came across the Jordan and they conquered Jericho. And so if you look at this scale bar here, this scale bar is 20 miles. So, in other words, that bar is 20 miles. It means that from the time they cross the Jordan till the time they're in Jericho, it's about five miles or four miles, not very far. And then they go, they're camping right here in a place called Gilgal, which is just about a half a mile from Jericho or a mile from Jericho. They're camped here. And now they're going to go ahead and they're going to attack the the town of Ai, this little town here. Jericho is 900 feet below sea level. AI is 2,600 feet above sea level. So there's mountains here. It's very hard to see that. So they're going up these mountains. And it's a foreboding place. It's, uh, it's desert. It's some sand, gravel, rocks, white rocks, and, and some shrubbery. But uh, uh, it, it's all an uphill trek to AI. And so that's, that's where we're going to be studying today. So Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. <coughs> They had already conquered Jericho, so we'll start reading in chapter 7, verse 1. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. In chapter 6, they had been told, when you conquer this land of Jericho, you are to take nothing, none of the spoils, Everyone was to die, and we, discuss, we discussed that this was very unusual. Never throughout Israel's history were they to kill everybody except cleaning out this side of the land. And the reason for that was is because God gave those people 400 years to repent. They never repented. They even came to the point of offering up their children. They, they got so corrupt, and he says, we've just got to wipe them out or they're going to influence you for bad. And we, we already discussed that, and if you're, you're interested in that, and if you think God is too vindictive, you go online and listen to the earlier messages, and, 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 uh, and you'll get a better understanding of that. But he told them, when you conquer Jericho, everything is to go into the Lord's treasury for, for what is ultimately going to be the bin, building of the temple. <clears throat> but Achan apparently took some of the spoil. Now, Achan is, a, it says, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah. So we don't have all of his generations, and we know that because this could never map back to 400 years. Uh, 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 Zerah was, the, tri- was uh, uh, the son of a woman named Tamar. 
Judah had, had relations with a woman named Tamar. Tamar was his daughter-in-law and he didn't even know it. His son had died, his daughter-in-law dressed up like a prostitute. Judah had ended up having relations with her and that's in the book of Genesis. So if you think these things that are happening today have never happened in the past, you're wrong. You read the book of Genesis. All this is described there. All the things you see today are described even in the book of Genesis. So he is descended from that relationship. Verse 2, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men need to go up to Ai. Do not make them all toil up there, for they, <clears throat> for they are few. So about three thousand men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about thirty-six of their men and pursued them to the gates of, uh, as far as the gate of Shebarim, and struck them down the uh, down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So what happens is he sends out spies. Spies go and they check out Ai and they say. Look, we don't need all the tens of thousands, you know, maybe a hundred thousand fighting men to go. We don't need that. Just send up two or three thousand, the spies say. Just two or three thousand. Now, it turns out at the end of chapter 8, it tells us how many men and women there were in, in AI. There were 12,000 men and women. So, usually men and women are about the same in number. And... and uh, um, so that would mean that there's really about 6,000 men and these spies say just sent two or 3,000. So it's really interesting. Earlier on, they would always underestimate their strength. Now they have one conquering of Jericho and they overestimate their strength. This is actually very much like our lives. We think we're inadequate, insufficient, and, and we're always thinking that, like we can never accomplish this. And all of a sudden we have an accomplishment and we're like... I can handle this. You know, and, and this is the life of the believer. And you see the same sort of thing in the disciples. What Jesus was constantly doing is he was constantly pushing them back and forth they're, they're, that they were walking on this edge and either they got too proud and he had to correct them or they felt too little of themselves and he had to stand them back upright again. And so this is the life of the believer. We go through these periods like we think, I'm totally inadequate, I could never make it. And then eventually God's able to get us lifted up and then all of a sudden we think, hey, I can have no problem. This is exactly what was happening here. But not only that, because Achan had stolen something, now all of a sudden they're unable to conquer their enemies. So they go up with 3,000 people, so they trek up this 2,600 feet journey through this desert land, and they get attacked at the gate, and they are pushed back. So those 3,000 men get pushed back to a place as far as, far as the gate of Shebarim. Shebarim is a town that we have no idea where it is. It's referenced in the Bible, but, but it's not known exactly where that is. And then they chase them down the descent, and they kill 36 of their men. And it says, when they got back, the people's hearts became as water. Twice before in the book of, of uh, Joshua, it talked about how the enemies of Israel, their hearts melted away. Their hearts became like water. Now, the Israelites' hearts have melted away. So, pick it up in verse 6. 
Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth with his face before the ark of the Lord, with his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. Both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring us this people over the Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So what happens is the children of Israel, these 3,000 men minus, minus uh, um, 36 of them, it's a 36 or 36 of them, come back and, and they said, you know, these guys just, they ripped us up. I mean, we, and so all of a sudden, Joshua, with the elders of Israel, they just fall on their face before the ark of the Lord in repentance. And at first it seems like a complaint, like, why did you bring us here? Why weren't we just content on the other side of the Jordan? But then you see he ends with something. He says that, you know, now the Canaanites are going to hear that we fled and the people of that land, they're going to come and conquer us. That's bad enough, but that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is, and what will you do for your great name? Joshua's greatest concern was what was going to happen to God's great name. That was Joshua's greatest concern. And so you can see that his heart, his primary thing in his heart is for the Lord and for the Lord's concern. I will tell you, one of my prayers, one of my constant prayers is that, Lord, please let me die before I would bring shame to your name. I don't want to do anything to bring shame to the name of God. You know, I understand a lot of people look to me and... and, and, and in ways that, that, that they shouldn't be. You know, I'm just a regular guy, but, you know, yeah, he studies the Bible. And I don't want to bring any shame to the name of my Lord. I don't want to do any corruption, any immorality, anything that would bring shame to the name of my Lord. Lord, take my life. I want to end well. I want to be like my mother-in-law. I want to finish life well. I don't want to finish life in, 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 in destruction. Lord, I don't want to bring any shame to your name. That was Joshua's concern. And as soon as Joshua says this, so he says he was laying before the, the, the altar, the, the ark, with, with the, the, all the elders, and God wasn't saying anything. And then all of a sudden, when he shows that his greatest concern is for God's name, then God speaks up in verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you've fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have tra also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you any more unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus, for, for thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, things, There are things that were under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning then, you shall come near by your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families. And the family 
which the Lord takes shall come near by household, and the household which the Lord takes shall come near by man. And it shall be the one who has taken the things under the ban shall be burned with fire, he and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has committed this disgraceful thing in Israel. So he comes before the Lord all the way until evening. As soon as he shows concern for God's name, the Lord says, you're looking in the wrong place. He says, rise up. Why have you fallen on your face? Look among the Israelites. He says, there's been a violation. Somebody has taken something under the ban. And I'll tell you, we will figure it out. I will show you who that person is. Now, God doesn't say the person's name is Achan. His name is is Achan and he's the son of Carmi. He could well have done that. He could have said, it's Achan, the son of Carmi. Go get him and, and you'll find the stuff. No, he says, I am going to single him out. I'm going to just single him out. And so that's the process that God uses. So let, let, let's see what happens then in verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning. He brought Israel near by tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near and he took the family of the Zerites. And he brought the family of the Zerites near, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought the household near, man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord God, to give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered and said to Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, fifty shekels in weight, then I coveted them, and I took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took it. They took them from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his sheep, his donkeys, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they buried them, And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised up over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. So the Valley of Achor is known. And it's interesting that in in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, so Achor means trouble. This man's name was Achan. In 1 Chronicles chapter 2 verse 7, they changed this man's name, Achan, to Achor, to trouble. Remember I told you that, that are often the, the names will be changed to be characteristic of what they did. So they actually changed this guy's name in, in history from Achan to Achor, to trouble. And, and, uh, um, but, but, so what's happening here is God singles them out. Now God could have revealed it's, it's Achan, the, the son of Carmi. But he singled him out. He allowed the pressure, the heat to come on by lot. That means they, they put stones in and everyone pulls something and it's poured out. 
and, and the one who gets the small stone is the one that's selected. And this is the lot. The lot, lot is cast into the lap, and it's every decision is from the Lord, it says in, in, uh, um, in, 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 in Proverbs. The lot is cast into the lap, it's every decision is from the Lord. They even used this method of choosing lots to choose who was going to replace, uh, who was going to replace Judas as the next apostle. And the lot fell to Matthias. And after that, once the Holy Spirit came, we stopped using the lot. We depend upon the Holy Spirit. But that's the way they used to discern. And so through that, they found. So what are they doing? They keep singling out, singling out. This is in front of everybody. This is what I want you to see. There was a sin that was committed. And the leadership of Israel exposed to the sin to everybody. They didn't say, he didn't say to the elders of Israel, hey, let's keep this thing quiet. Let's just quietly find out who it is and we'll deal with him. No, they told the whole congregation, this is the first lesson for you today. You come clean as fast as you can. When you have committed sin, do not wait for it to be drawn down and drawn down and drawn down and singled out to you. Achan never spoke a word. He knew it was coming. The next day, Joshua said, we're going to find out who did this. And Achan's thinking, he's never going to find it. Nobody saw me take that stuff. I was alone in the tent. Now, what he took was a lot. Fifty shekels of gold. That was a lot. And then a lot of silver and all these, these, uh, uh, these garments. And he hid them in his tent. So something that his family must have known about. But he thought, I'll never be caught. When we have done wrong, we must come clean with it very, very quickly. This is the first lesson for you. And don't think, well, I won't ever do wrong. No, you'll do wrong in life. A lot of times you'll do wrong and you won't even know that you've done wrong when you've done it or you didn't. You think, oh, this is not really anything. Come clean as quickly as you can. We take the Lord's Supper in here after every, every one of these classes, and you're welcome to join us. If you know the Lord, if you've accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, we invite you into the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a time, it says, that you are to examine yourself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It is a time of self-examination. We are to have times of self-examination where we say, Lord, is there something there that I need to deal with in my life? Something that I need to deal with. You allow the Lord to deal with it. And you ask the Lord, is there something I need to deal with? And He will point it out and repent before the Lord. The longer you wait, the longer it's going to have an effect on you. Achan said nothing. He waited until it came totally upon him. He was singled out as the person. And you will be singled out. You know, there have been times where, where what happens is, and, and this happens to men in business and women in business. You get into business and you never expect to embezzle. You never expect to do wrong. And all of a sudden there was an opportunity and you're not even sure why did you do this. Come clean with it as soon as you can. Go and confess this. In the Bible they would make restitution. In the Bible restitution had to be made fourfold or sevenfold depending on the offense. If you have taken something, say you've stolen $100 from somebody. And you go back to that person, you say, I took from you $100. I want to give that back, but I want to give you back $400. That is what, what, what's called making restitution. They had to give back four to seven fold. If you give back many times over, 
that will really appease things and will teach you not to do it anymore too. This is a good practice to have. Remember, whatever you take, the Lord is not going to let you forget that. That will carry with you and you think it's just a skeleton in the closet. What we do, the sins that we commit, don't affect just us. Achan's sin, that lone man's sin, ended up getting 36 people killed, ended up the entire nation being on the wrong side with God, and ended up getting him, his wife, his children, all his animals, all of them killed. Now, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, 24, verse 16, it says, when a man does an offense and, 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 uh, and capital punishment is executed upon him, it is only for him and not for his family. A man's sons will not suffer for the man, and a man will not suffer for the sins of the sons. It was only to the individual, except in the cases where the offense was in idol worship and against God. This was a very special land of Jericho. That's the land where we saw all these miracles, where the wall just came down flat. Now, these are huge stones. It can only come flat if the earth opens up, because they ran, it says, straight ahead. That land is very much like it talks about in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 through 16. The command was, if there's a town among you that has decided to neglect the Lord and start worshiping idols, all of Israel collectively is to go there and kill everyone and everything in that town. This was a divine judgment. This is a divine judgment that Achan brought upon his family. But sins today are not administered like that, the, the penalties, but... The ramifications are never for a lone person. Let me give you an example. And I've, I've, I've been prepared for this for, for many weeks because I prepare many weeks ahead in this class. But I'll give you an example of many occasions where I have seen both men and I have seen women commit adultery in families. It never affects just that individual. When a man commits adultery... It's often with a woman in another family and two families now are affected. Not just the man, not just the woman, but the entire families are affected. People around them are affected. We are a community. We're a community and it affects everyone. People think pornography is a victimless crime. It is not a victimless crime. Not at all. You take those patterns and you bring them into your marriage and you make your wife, you make your spouse, you objectify them because now they become the object of what you're fantasizing with in your mind. And you think, well, once I'm in marriage, then I'm not going to need the pornography. That is a lie of the devil. Men always bring the pornography right with them into the marriage. This is something you deal with now. When God touches your heart with this, what you do is you repent before the Lord. And on my website, there's a series called Scriptural Sexual Ethics. It is a six-part series, series, half hour each part, so it's, so it's like three, three and a half hours. And you listen to this, and I reveal my struggle that I had as a teenager with pornography and how the Lord broke me of that. And it's been liberating to be free of that, but I know the struggle you have. It's not, I'm not judging anybody. I know your struggle. Whatever your, your, your struggle is, God's not here to judge you. 
But he's saying be delivered from it because it will affect you. When a man falls into immorality, it does not just affect himself. It affects his marriage. You've got this poor wife now. She's got to deal with this. And the children are affected by this. The community around which the man works is affected by this. Sin never affects just an individual. So this thought, well, if I do this, it will only affect me. If a man or a woman embezzles and takes money that is not theirs, when it is found out, and as a believer, if you walk with Jesus Christ, you will all the more be found out because He holds the standard for believers higher. Higher. He will single you out by lot. Boom, 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 boom. Have they ever find me? Because God left a trail for them to find you. And it will affect not just you. You'll go to jail. Tell me what happens when a father goes to jail. What happens to his family? What happens to his kids? And adultery is not an isolated event. Adultery is contagious. You commit adultery, your children are more li likely to, to be sleeping around and committing adultery. These things are never isolated. Sin is never isolated. It is something that we are to hide from and run from. And then if we fall into it, we are to expose it as quickly as we can. And we come out with it. We expose it as quickly as we can and we come out with it. If there has been wrong, if there has been wrong, do it. You expose it as quickly as you can. The longer you wait, the harder it gets. The longer you wait, the harder it will get. You go, you know, if you've cheated in a class, you go to that professor and say, look, this is what I did. And let come what may, I would rather have this thing go to the honors council and have to deal with it than to have to live with this the rest of my life. Because you will never forget it. Every time a message is given on sin, boom, it will come right back to your mind because God will not let you forget it. And God wants our lives to be clean and open before Him. And these things come by confession. If it involves another person, we go to that person and, and, and we start making restitution. But we'll deal with that in just a minute. So this... so. God comes and he sa so, so he says to, to Achan, you know, there's this, this interesting passage that he said to Achan. He said, son, tell me what you've done. Finally, when Achan is singled out, Achan never came forward. It was only like, Achan, it's you. Okay, you got me. I mean, never came forward earlier on. It was only when he was absolutely confronted and you have, you know, 3,000 soldiers that, that got torn up. Or surrounding this guy Achan. And he says, okay, you caught me. So Joshua, so, so Joshua says to him, tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. He says, give glory to God. This is exactly what happens in the Jewish community. And you see the same thing in the New Testament where they, where they said to the man, the, the council said to the man in, in John chapter 9, verse 24, they said, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner, speaking about Jesus. He wasn't a sinner, but they were trying to get this man to say Jesus was a sinner. They said to him, give glory to God. Because the common Jewish construct that the rabbis teach is, even if you're undergoing a capital punishment, if you give glory to God and confess it just before your capital punishment, you will be, still go into the life to come you will still be with Israel in the life to come. So you can confess it just before you die. Certainly trouble, the capital punishment will be administered, but they always give an opportunity for repentance because they believe in the afterlife. They believe in the life to come. This is why he gave them this chance to repent. And he says, okay, I did it. And I saw these beautiful things. And look what he says. He says, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, 
and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent. So he says, when I saw it, and they were really beautiful. I mean, that gold was just talking to me. You take and you start looking at something very long and all of a sudden you will start coveting it. That means I just got to have it. I just have to have it. You start looking at pornography and it doesn't take more than a nanosecond to go, whoa, what's on the next page? Clicking away. You just get drawn right in and you start to covet it. And then he said, I have to have it. I have to have it. Pornography never stops right there because it is never fulfilling enough. And then you have to have it. It's the same thing when we covet. If you covet money and then you have to have it, you, have, you, you look at it and then you start having to have it, then you will eventually take it. And it will end up in your tent, buried in your tent. And that's what happened. And then he was singled out and he was killed. But how do we deal? How do we deal with sin? You deal with it quickly, as soon as you can. You return what was taken. And if you've taken it one X, give back multiple X. And the people would understand, hey, this guy really means business. Really means business. When I was leaving undergraduate I had a pair of pliers in my toolbox that had the name John Ciel on it. John Ciel was one of my roommates at, at, at one time. I just scooped them all into, in, into, my, into my toolbox and I left. Now, John had already left town, but that still wasn't mine. It wasn't mine to take. Years later, three, four, three years later in graduate school, you know, I'm going through my tool and I see this tool by John Ciel. It wasn't like, oh, I wonder how that got there. I knew how it got there. Well, anyway, this was before emails and before anything, but I tracked him down by making phone calls. That's how we used to track people down. Made phone calls on a regular phone with a wire that goes to the wall. And I, and I called around and I got his address and I went out and I bought the nut. This was an old, terrible pair of pliers, all rusted and loose in the, in the joint and everything. I bought him the nicest pair of pliers. Had big rubber handles on it, brand new Craftsman pliers. And I put it in a package and I mailed it to him with a note saying, I have your pliers. This is the return for it. And I felt so much better about that. Now and I could go to my toolbox in peace. You know? <laughs> and and, and uh, you deal with things. You deal with things like this. There are things that have gone on in my career. In fact, one of them, we just discovered that we, we, we assigned the structure of a compound incorrectly. So this is a you know, this is an important thing. I've got to get this corrected in the literature. And so I just composed it. And finally, you know, I, I really wanted to make sure we had, we had defined it incorrectly. So finally, when we made sure we defined it, I've written a long letter. I mean, a, a long letter to the editors of the journal. I said, here, we assigned the structure of that compound wrongly. The other data in the paper is fine, but that is assigned wrongly. I am willing to publish an erratum. Or I'm willing to, to withdraw the publication. Whatever you advise, I submit myself to your counsel. We have to come clean. You think that, oh, I kind of enjoyed doing this. No, I don't enjoy doing this at all. But it's something we have to do. You come clean. So when we published the paper, I didn't. I thought it was right. 
But when we discovered it was wrong, I could not keep that hidden. I had to deal with the issue. And so this is what we do. So if, we, if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, see what Jesus has to say about this. So this is in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not Christian ethics for today. It is what the law should have brought the children of Israel to if they were obeying the spirit of it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. No, we'll pick it up, we'll pick it up in verse, uh, verse 28. Matthew 5, 20, 28. I'm sorry, Matthew 5, 23. The, the verse numbers are so small I can't see them without my glasses. So it's 23. Therefore, if you are presenting... If you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Go first, make rec- uh, uh, go first, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So he says, when you come to make an offering, if you realize your brother has something against you, leave your offering, go, go deal with your brother and then come back and make your offering. This is why I tell you, you can take the Lord's Supper but if you know that there's something there, you are making a commitment to find that person to deal with them. The worst way to deal with a situation is by text. That is the worst way. If you can go to them face to face, say, this is what I've done. Sorry I lost my temper with you. Please forgive me. And leave it at that. You don't have to belabor it. You don't have to sit there and, 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 and just you know, shine their shoes or anything. You just, I'm very sorry. Please forgive me. If you cannot meet with them, then call them. If you can text them, you can call them. That's kind of the way it works. And you call them and you deal with the situation. And, and, uh, um, and so what, what he does here, he says, you leave your offering at the altar. Then he goes on to say, he says, make friends quickly with your opponents at law while you are with them on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. There are so many lawsuits that go flying around. People threatening lawsuits all over. I hate lawsuits. I am telling you the only people who win lawsuits are lawyers. They're the only ones who make money on these things. You think, oh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get my pound of flesh. You will lose four pounds of flesh trying to get a pound of flesh. It will never be happy for you. Whatever you can do to get out of a lawsuit, I urge you to get out of it. Now, most people don't listen to me in this, when I tell them this, and they go through a lawsuit and they're like, I'll never go through that again. I'll listen to Dr. Tour next time. I just lost so much money. And then, because you're writing, month after month, you're writing checks to this lawyer. Month after month. And you're like, I'm spending more money on the lawyer than I am over the whole issue. But I really want to get that guy. And then at the end of the day, you spent these tens of thousands of dollars on this lawyer. And then if you don't pay him, he's coming after you. And, and so, just let it go. Let it go. If someone has defrauded you, just let it go. Just give it to the Lord. Say, you, you know, you, you owe me this, but I'm, I'm not coming after Just leave it. Just leave it. It is so much cheaper than going through a lawsuit. I urge you, just walk in forgiveness. Better to be wrong. If you look in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're not going to turn there, but he says, with lawsuits, isn't it better to be defrauded? than to have to go into a lawsuit. We have direct command in the New Testament about this sort of thing. I urge you, you will have many opportunities in life to go through lawsuits. I urge you, don't bother. Somebody rear-ended your car, 
just say, look, you know, if they're supposed to pay for it, you know, you say, well, you know, I'm not feeling great. You know, and the lawyer came to me, I can sue this person. Look, I mean, you look all right to me. I mean, you go, just let them go. I mean, everybody makes a mistake. Just let them go. Do, you, you know, if, if their insurance company is going to pay you for that, fine. If not, just let them go. Don't go suing people so much. We need to learn to walk in forgiveness. To walk in forgiveness. What is the better way? I was, I was being, the, the Vordai was going for a jury and there was this, this accident between these two people and they were speaking to different jurors and they said, does anybody have a problem with this? I raised this. What's your problem? I said, I think he ought to just forgive her. And she didn't mean to run into him. He looks okay to me. And I got off of this thing. I didn't have to be on the jury anymore. I just got stuck. But that's really the way I felt. I said, forgiveness is the way to go. And then all these guys around me, yeah, yeah, you ought to just forgive. Forgiveness is the way to go. Just let the thing go. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, for these young people that they would not have to go through what Achan went through and to see their lives and their families destroyed. But, Father, that when they commit sin, that they would be fast to expose it as soon as your Holy Spirit starts speaking to them. They would be fast to expose it. Father, I pray that when they fall into something unknowingly and they find themselves caught in something, that even then, that they would expose it quickly, going to their boss, going to the authorities, and expose it, and then lay themselves before you, that you would have mercy on them. Father, I pray that you would keep them from lawsuits. I pray that you would keep them from going after other people, that they would learn to walk in forgiveness and then have a much happier life. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would never forget this message, but that it would have a huge effect in their lives. Lord, I pray that you'd cover them by the blood of Jesus. Cover and protect them. Lord, I pray for the homes that will be represented by these people. That you would not bring these young men and young women into homes, into families with pornography. Lord, I pray for those here that struggle with pornography. That you would give them victory. That you would give them victory. Father, that they would come and repent before you. And they would submit themselves to counsel. Talking with other brothers so that they could be, be, be held in accountability for this, to be liberated from this. Father, protect them, I pray. Lord, your grace, protect them. Lord, I pray that you cover each one of these young people by the blood of Jesus and use them for your glory. And I commit them to you for the glory of Jesus. Amen.